Seven weeks ago, we started this series, and the idea was quite simple. C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity says that the medicine that the world needs for its brokenness and challenges is simply deep, rich theology. And at the center of that theology is our good, one and only Creator. First, we talked about the Trinity and how God has existed eternally in three co-equal persons. He is, in fact, love. Then we talked about the incarnation of Jesus, how we have the divine and the human coming together, fully divine, fully human, into the person of Jesus. And then we talked about morality and how it is on the very character of God that we know right and wrong. Then we talked about the imago Dei, the image of God, that we are all image bearers and we are called to reflect his goodness into creation and then back up to him. Then one of the most wonderful things is that this idea that salvation is a multifaceted diamond. It reveals how our, our salvation has both just, it has justification, it has sanctification, and it has glorification all built into one. And then we went into a little deeper, the whole idea of sanctification, the fact that God's spirit goes with us and we are transforming more into the image of God each and every day. Lewis speaks this truth in the middle of wartime. He says, we look to our theology for comfort. So how is it that the core tenets of our faith are to give this comfort? I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Think about it for just a second. How is it that you would push back an evil empire? You fight hard. You, you build better weapons. You win the battle. But see what happens when that tyranny moves to the next nation over, or what happens when that tyranny moves right into your empire? Maybe there's other solutions. Maybe, maybe a bunch of the nations come together and they decide right and wrong and justice for the oppressed. But what happens when one of those invaders or empires makes it into that group? You see, brothers and sisters, when we look to humanity to solve our ills, we will look to education and power and unity. But Lewis says we must aim higher. So, we don't look to uh, the winning of a battle or the end of the war or some group that might solve these things. Ironically, Lewis says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. His view is toward a divine horizon. We are to look beyond our earthly circumstances. And this is what we're talking about today. Lewis knew that if he used earthly solutions to fix earthly problems, we get nothing. Knowing our theology points us to a divine horizon, and it's at this horizon where God offers his greatest promise, and that's the promise of hope. The author of the book of Hebrews writes a whole chapter about people who let their faith and hope lead them. It reads in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Have you ever thought about the things that you long for? The book of Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in man's heart. And the whole point is that our longings point beyond to a greater reality. Uh, a good job might leave you wanting a better boss or more pay or maybe more responsibility. Uh, a good family, uh, your, your siblings might move away. Your, your parents might pass away. Or maybe a good marriage, it's supposed to point to an ideal as well. But maybe when you really think about it, every one of these things has a better version that you can imagine. This is why Lewis would say, We shall never save civilization 
as long as civilization is our main object. We must learn to want something else even more. Think about it from a different angle. Consider a globe. Spin it around and you'll see so many things. You can see where places are relative to others, nations, rivers, seas. Some globes are extra cool and bumpy because they show the mountains and valleys and rivers as they flow on the globe. It is a representation of the world and, and an accurate one. But is it full? Well, not really. Imagine the Pacific Ocean on the globe is not the same as standing on a cliff and looking out over the wonder and the vastness of the ocean. You can imagine the life teeming underneath the surface. You can hear the waves hitting the rock. You can smell the sea air. You see, the Pacific Ocean is a bigger reality than what's displayed on a globe, but it's even more than we can take in from one vantage point. You see, all of our theology collectively points to our ultimate hope. Together, they create a lens through which we can see all of life, and they should arouse longings that have proper meaning and direction. Longings lead somewhere. Longings can ignite actions. They point to how we seek satisfaction. Let me explain. Many people go through life flying about like a bee. They go from one flower to the next, extracting as much nectar as they can, determining what's deficient in that nectar, and go to the next flower, assuming they are going to certainly find something better. It's the grass is always greener attitude. And we can do this in our relationships, in our jobs, in all of our lives. It really is a fool's errand because this attitude looks to earthly things to satisfy the appetites of divine image bearers who have eternity placed in their hearts. On the other side, there are those that settle down with reality knowing that such flitting about ends up dry and exhausting. They slowly begin to see nothing is able to satisfy. In fact, the pursuit of satisfaction in any way becomes the work of the young and the foolish. But all the while, life begins to lose its color. It becomes bland, tasteless, unimportant. If nothing satisfies, why pursue it? Accept your lot in life, but life isn't worth a lot. You become discontented, passionless. But the Christian way is different, and Lewis would explain it this way. He writes, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Do you see how Lewis takes these two extremes, brings them together, and presents a third possibility? You see, we can be satisfied by things around us, but it's not ultimate satisfaction. We can appreciate the beauty and wonder of the world knowing that it's a foretaste of something bigger, a greater reality. There's a character in Lewis's Narnia series named Reepicheep, and he's known as the, the greatest of the talking creatures of Narnia and the chief mouse. He's actually, he's like a mouse with an attitude. And in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, Lewis talks about this moment where as a baby mouse, Reepicheep has a prophecy spoken over him. And it says this, where the sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, Reepicheep, 
To find all you seek, there is the utter east. Reepicheep admits, I do not know what it means, but the spell of it has been on me all my life. From that moment forward, the utter east, what's also known as Aslan's country, was what Reepicheep longed for. It, it drove him. It was what motivated him. So as Christians, what is our utter east? I mean, I know what you're thinking. This is uh, fiction. But what is it that our theology points to? In the book of Hebrews, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So what do we hope for? In the same chapter in the book of Hebrews, it begins to talk about the faithfulness of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah. And it gives us this hint of this hope that we are to look forward to. In Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We're not in the dark. Think to the beginning pages of the Bible. God is present with his creation. It actually says he walks in the cool of day. But what about the end of the Bible? You see, the book of Hebrews gives a hint and John picks up that hint and gives us more information. In Revelation chapter 21, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So you see, at the center of this story, at the, the binding of this book, between the two garden stories, we learn of a king. And how do we see that king? How do we learn a, a, what God is truly like? We see a king on a cross, sacrificing for us. So when we look at this, we see that through the Trinity, God, through Jesus, says he loves us. God, through Jesus in the incarnation, says he is present with us. God, through morality and law, says, I give you truth. And God, through Jesus in the image, says, I give you purpose. God, through salvation, all of the acts, both past, present, and future, says, you are saved. And God, through the work of the Spirit, says that we are empowered to be his people. All of this should point us to the hope of our king. C.S. Lewis says it this way, 
I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others do the same. This leaves one final point. Did you catch the end of what Lewis just said? It is, and help others do the same. You see, there's this thing about our theology and the richness of it and this hope that we have that when an individual catches a hold of this hope, it's a good thing. But maybe when they together catch it, they can reveal something to the rest of the world. So this hope is not just for the individual but it's for the individual as they come together in the church to reveal this hope and glory to the rest of the world. You see, the series was intended to act like a prism to show how the light of the gospel and the, and the light of this hope is split into these wonderful aspects of our theology that are deep and they're rich and they're intended to arouse us to something greater, to look to a greater horizon and maybe, just maybe, we can follow in Reepicheep's footsteps as he says, while I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. So we'd ask that you'd look to and walk toward this horizon of hope with us. One of the ways we do this as a church family is we come to the Lord's table. We have communion together because it is a reminder of the goodness and the hope that we do have. It's a reminder of our King and the sacrifice that He would make for us. So let's take the bread together. This is His body broken for us. And He also brings the wine as a symbol of his blood poured out for us. It is the blood of his new covenant that promises us this hope. Let's take the wine together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to know you better through this deep and rich theology, knowing that it is the thing that can give us comfort. It is the thing that gives us hope. So we'd ask you through your spirit to point us to that hopeful horizon all of the time in everything that we do. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.